Everybody go. Oh, you talking to me? You talking to me? Are you talking to me? Oh, here we go. Oh, big, big man. Oh, 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 who the, who the heck else do you think you're talking? You, you talking to me? I'm the only one here. <laughs> oh, 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 hey, hey, Dave. Are you, you okay? What's, what's going on? Oh, no, just, just, uh, just, you know, uh, practicing my self confidence in the mirror. Just uh, really wanted to, you know, build myself up for the next. Grab that. We need to do a podcast. It's been uh, like two months. But... Uh, oh, what? I've just been talking to the is mirror. That, is everything all right there? Oh, 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 what's that noise? Yeah. Oh, nothing. Nothing. Everything's fine here. Everything's fine. It's all under control. Uh, how are you? Uh, let's just be ready in like five minutes. See you soon, Dave. Yeah. All right. Bye. 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 Oh, jeez. Bloody hell. A starship floating in desolate space. Once manned by an eight-person crew, there is now but two souls left. They continue to man the vessel as they lose track of the days as well their minds. That is until they come across a distress beacon. They approach it and find a container drifting in the cold embrace of the infinite black. Inside is a plethora of video games and movies from the late 20th century. Together, they make a pact. They will comb through each and every one of these and send a beacon. Okay, what? Alright, no, seriously. Uh, This is an awful plan. This isn't going to work, guys. I don't even know what the hell you're thinking this is going to accomplish. You're just going to get out there and both die in space and it'll be all for nothing. I don't understand what you're trying to do with right now. This is Super 8-Bit. Hello and welcome to the Super 8-Bit Podcast. Uh, it's been a hot minute, but I'm Dave. I'm Ben. It's been about two months since we did the last podcast. Two whole months. What what have we been doing, you know? Oh, I mean, I'd like to say I've been doing a lot, but... Uh, a lot, lot of space maintenance, you know, got to get of, We've been doing a lot of space maintenance. Uh, <laughs> Currently on board still, but we've learned well, to live with it. You know, he's like, you know, just uh, a passenger now, a bit of a lodger on yeah. the ship. We call him Steve, nice guy. Yeah. Um, so what have you been playing or watching lately? I'll tell you what I've been playing recently, a game from my childhood that I've just slowly become addicted to, uh, Roller Coaster Tycoon 2. You ever played it? Uh, I played Theme Park World, but it's a completely different game. <laughs> what is Theme Park <laughs> That's a joke, right? <laughs> you never played Theme Park World? What's Theme Park? Oh, is that like Theme Hospital? Hospital, yeah, Theme. Yeah, I've, I've played yeah. that one. Well, I didn't know they did a Roller Coaster. Like Bullfrog one, Studios. Ooh. Peter Molnier's child. What what happened to him? You know, fell off the face of the earth. He made a cube game and then <laughs> made some kid in Scotland a god. <laughs> It was a weird That's guy. not a joke. <laughs> I thought it was a joke. No, so Peter Molyneux made some weird cube game to stay relevant. I mean, it wasn't relevant because there was nothing like it. It was just a cube that you dug at and you could draw like pixel images in it. 
There is a free app on the phone. I think you could pay to dig extra things. <laughs> pay to and win a, cube game. A prophesized prize in the centre of this cube. Wow. Some some kid in Scotland got to the middle and he got told he would be the guard in Peter Molyneux's next project where it's a basically a civilization mobile app game. <laughs> and nothing came of it and now Peter Molyneux's basically gone. <laughs> I feel like Peter Molyneux just promises things he can never do, you know, like <laughs> He does. Love him. He, love to hate him, but love him. Like you got you gotta love him. He's he's got the charisma, hasn't he? He's he's uh Keeps promising us Fable games we'll never get, you know. Well, Fable's now owned by Microsoft and they're making a new one that was recently announced. Well, you know... Peter Molyneux involved. I don't even know what I'm talking about, Dave, because I've never played a Fable game in my life, but, you know... I'm making note of that. <laughs> Get that down. <laughs> but yeah, I've been playing Rollercoaster Tycoon 2, which is a lot of fun. Um, I get quite addicted to, like, top-down games like that, so it's not good for my... I got addicted to Civilization six as well recently so it's not good well, for my health but yeah. i've never finished a game of civ it's a long game i don't blame you it's too long i did one game in one day once and uh i started at 9 a.m and i finished at like 3 a.m <laughs> <laughs> it was a good day that's not in the same day ben yeah i'll stop it you i've been watching um you ever watched the boys before oh yeah yeah Finn, that's, i really enjoyed that oh so good yeah uh someone recommended it um on youtube oh yms recommended it so i started watching it just because it sounded really interesting and i've got to say it was really good show i'm looking forward a lot to season two which is coming out until 4th of september yeah i've heard the comic i looked into a comic and apparently the comic's really awful really (laughs) i didn't hear that from what i've seen it seems pretty awful as well even the like the art just do you know who it was like made by was anyone famous uh i think he that's what he's famous for so i don't think oh okay so one 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 trick pony sort of thing (laughs) i don't i mean i I don't know for certain i've got to say i really enjoyed the show highly recommend it if you have um I love wanna... the end of the first episode with uh, where the passenger plays by Iggy Pop. Oh, I love that ending. You know what? That ending really shocked me. I was like, We no. won't spoil it, but. Yeah. No! <laughs> totally <laughs> not. Recently, I was going to say we've been, we went to see the Inception in cinemas for the 10th anniversary. Ooh, happy 10th anniversary, Inception. Did you enjoy it on the rewatch? Uh, well, we've already talked about this, but I think it's worth a mention. Um, the sound design is not great. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. I-, I walked out the screen. We went to a cinema, uh, we won't name, uh, in Liverpool that we really like. We walked out and we were like, God, this sound design in that movie is awful because you just can't hear anyone over Hans Zimmer's music. It gets like comical at times. You're like, what? What? I found out from someone that works at the cinema recently that um, they actually messed up on their end and they just completely messed up the sound in the movie. And I was just so disappointed in them. Well, the thing is, like, I remember 10 years ago when I first saw a film. I saw it twice because I wanted to fully understand it as a teenager, I guess. I didn't mm. grasp it all. Mm. It's mainly the scene with Leonardo DiCaprio where he's talking uh, in that, like, that Asian-style room. Mm-hmm. It, it starts with that and then it, end, it kind of ends with that scene as well as a callback, what mm-hmm. to call for it, I guess. Mm. But it's just, you can't understand a word they're saying. <laughs> And it feels it's that bad. It feels like it's a deliberate attempt that you like to make you not know what they're saying. But it's just bad well, sound design. I think. What I remember was um, Dunkirk was very similar to that. I don't know if you saw yeah. that. But, um, I've not it, seen that. It's very similar. Where I remember seeing that at the IMAX in Manchester, yeah. on seventeen millimeter. It was amazing. Had great such a great experience. But it was definitely a movie where you couldn't hear what anyone was talking about. When Harry Styles yeah. was talking, I was like, what? <laughs> 
What's he saying? Oh, what's that? I can't hear you. But, um, didn't even know he was in that film. <laughs> you didn't know he was in the film. I was famous. Like, I, I was. I was yeah. reading a few um, like things Christopher Nolan said. He was like, "Oh, I didn't even know he was famous. I just thought he was just an actor." <laughs> you know, <laughs> just quite funny. <laughs> well, we also enjoyed the twenty-minute-long um, oh. preview. Oh, this is Nolan's new movie that uh, actually comes out the day we're recording this. Tenet. Tenet. Tenant. Um, looks really interesting, but uh, why did they have to spoil so much? It was so annoying. Uh, <laughs> I hate film spoilers. I don't even watch trailers anymore. Yeah, really. I, I watch trailers when it's a film I won't take as seriously. Like, for example, I watched the new Batman trailer because I was a bit like, well, you know, uh, I'm sure they won't spoil major plot threads, you know, but I know what you mean. You can never be too sure with it, can you? Yeah, I don't know why I, I did watch the trailer for Batman, but I don't know why I did because I'm, you know, I'm a massive Batman. You're fan. a huge Batman fan. I thought yeah. you wouldn't have watched it. Like, you I don't know. know why I did thinking about, it, but yeah, I wanted to see what see Patterson would look like in the role. I guess so that's why I watched it. I think yeah, I wanted to find out if it's going to be early Batman or mm. mid Batman. I'm not really sure based on the trailer because you don't know much about the film at all, do you? Like, no, I'm trying to avoid as much as possible. Wasn't it's some good... of it filmed in England at some point? Like oh, I haven't. Scene? I haven't heard anything about that, but um, yeah. it did look quite English so, in the locations we've heard. Yeah. Robert Robert Pattinson is English, isn't he? He is an Englishman, and let's not forget Christian Bale is Welsh, even though that is not oh, English. Yeah. But uh, clo- close neighbours, you know. <laughs> Don't know why we're talking about Christy Bale. It's really hard to like remember that Christian Bale is Welsh, don't you think? Because he seems so American yeah. sometimes. Like in he's, South- uh, he's always asking you to get off his set when you talk oh, to him. Oh, he's always... You just step on the set and he's just... Da, 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 you know, every time. <laughs> so uh, another thing as well, the, the last episode we did uh, was about Blade Runner. We got a mm-hmm. lot of good feedback from that. I think it's the most popular episode today. Oh, no three, way, I didn't so. know. Oh, yeah, go us. Cool. Um <laughs> So my brother actually watched Blade Runner for the first time in preparation for that. Uh-huh. As every good viewer should. Every year, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> and he said that the end credits music sounded just like that from the Scrap Brain Zone. Scrap Brain games. Zone from Sonic 1, the last Sonic zone. One. And I love that music and I've never noticed this before. Yeah, well, I, I made some comparisons. I, I compared the two and I listened to him and watched the gameplay of that zone. And the background is actually like eerily similar to the landscape, the cityscape from Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's all like, there's even flame vents coming out. I can't believe I never made the connection, but yeah, um, I, I love the final. Similar. I love the final credit music in Blade Runner, and now we know why. Because Sonic, yeah. um, <laughs> I mean, sorry, Blade Runner ripped off Sonic. Let's just get that. Obviously, yeah. I've, Let's I've get that said now, show. you know. Yeah, I thought but, it was a cool. A no, cool it's just like an it. interesting little fact, isn't it? You know. I think it just means that we obviously have some sort of uh, super bit uh, extended universe that the all all the episodes <laughs> correlate together. <laughs> In other words, the S8 EU, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Let's get that wiki page going. We've got a five-year plan going, so... Yeah, um, when's your movie coming out again? I don't, the Dave year one. Uh, I've got six coming out. And I've got um, Ben Long Halloween coming out soon, so... Um, ben Long Halloween. <laughs> Just in time for Halloween. Yeah, that'll be our October episode. <laughs> Let's move on to questions. I'm going to shoot with mine first. Go ahead. So, what game do you wish you were good at? Or you wish you could play it all? It's a really interesting uh, question. Um, <laughs> uh, there's a few games. A lot of retro games I wish I was a lot better at. Um, I think 
I find modern games a lot easier. The retro ones, if you're not save scumming, I'm talking about are so yeah, difficult. Yeah. Like I'm talking, I can't complete the original Mario. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, that really? is hard. It's not my answer though, but um, just something I thought really hard about. But my actual answer is quite an interesting one. Um, I used to play this game a lot with my brother, and he used to thrash me every single time, and it upset me <laughs> countless for countless years, and I never got better than him. But he, I would like to get better at the FIFA games, Dave. Okay. <laughs> I, I am so rubbish at them. I, I I'd like to think I uh, I can do okay if someone challenges me to a game of FIFA and I've practiced long enough. But he just destroys me every single time, and it's so unfair, and I get so angry. But if you're listening to this, Joe, I'm coming for you one day. <laughs> <laughs> one day I'm gonna smash you at FIFA. <laughs> I'm sure he's listening. Oh, uh, <laughs> he always listens. He's an avid fan. And if you're not listening, I'm going to be angry. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I think mine would be Super Smash Brothers. Which one, or just Ultimate? I mean, Ultimate, I guess. But bro, uh, sorry, Melee would be great as well. Mm. But I mean, I think I've already superseded your skill level. Uh, <laughs> oh, 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 have you? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't aware of this. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not quite wave dashing yet, but yeah. <laughs> I would like to get to that level. But I don't want to put in any of the. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you what. Work. I'd like to get better at the first, the original one, because I am so rubbish at that one. <laughs> Just uh, I don't know what I'm doing every time, you know. But um, I think you're really good at Smash. Um, I am, <laughs> but I want to be better. You want to be like tournament hungry box sort of level. Yeah. I don't. Know? I don't want to put in any of the hard work, but I want to be better. <laughs> I don't want to do anything, but I'd like to be the best is all I'm saying. Exactly. <laughs> well, anyway, I've got a question for you as well. Um, do you have like a favorite video game box art? Like um, off the top of my head, one of my favorites is Doom, but I was just wondering if you had any favorites. Doom. Said, Doom's yeah. a classic box art. That's, that's great, isn't it? And they even recreated it in the reboot, didn't they? The Doom oh, did they? Yeah. Oh, that- I think it's like a copy of the original. I guess that was the obvious thing to do. I didn't even think that. I was just looking at it like, wow, why is this so cool? (laughs) (laughs) Mine is Animal Crossing Wild World for the DS. Oh, remind me what that is again. So it was my first Animal Crossing game, but I just remember the cover is really cool. It encapsulates the game like really well. It's called Wild World, uh, but the the art is like a tiny, you know, it's tiny universe pictures. No. Done with like a reverse fish islands i don't know what we what how you doing but okay it's like a small globe mm-hmm. do you know that you can take like a picture and it makes oh okay so it's like zoomed out so it's like a planet yeah sort of thing. like a yeah. planet a small planet they're called tiny world or tiny universe pictures i believe oh, okay okay but it's styled like that and it's like a whole village and you can just see villagers walking around the, like standing around the whole planet and the little shops and stuff uh, that sounds really interesting actually i'm gonna have to check that out yeah it just shows that there's like there's a whole like world it's in this. it's good it's got like the whole game amalgamated in one cover i think that's exactly. what the best covers do you know <laughs> yeah do you have any honorable mentions in that category like i can't think of any of this right but um i'll say my honorable mention is super mario land 2 the first game we covered <laughs> the one we um did a mock-up of. <laughs> exactly it's kind of the inverse of what i just said it's like a weird fish island style <laughs> par- it's well, like a parallel if you remember well it's... the good thing about that cover is again it just sort of encapsulate what the game's about on the front cover exactly. you know sharks with boxing gloves you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah and mario just going mental 
It's a good cover. I really like the original Mario Bros. You know, the black box cover. I think it's quite... Uh, I don't know. I'm not a fan of it. You know, I know they're cool retro-wise, but... I, I, I love oh, the retro. Fun. It just gets me... Oh, I love it so much. What I love about old retro games is how much they had to do make the box art look interesting so that you'd buy it. Because you, like, ref- you didn't have reviews back then. You just had to get an interesting cover or, you know, you weren't going to sell it. <laughs> Kind of like how the Western Mega Man games all yeah. have like weirdly eighties <laughs> realistic books. gritty looking dystopian. They make me laugh so much. The first They're so one. good, and <laughs> I love how when Capcom did the anniversary like oh no sorry when they did Mega Man Nine yeah they redid was it. Nine the new one Nine's the new one yeah yeah yeah. And they actually did a mock-up Western cover art as well, like just like the old ones. Well, I'll there. tell you what, Dave, yeah. if we say new, it's actually 12 years old. <laughs> Feels neat to me, though. <laughs> Feels new. That's one of my favourite games, Mega Man 9, and the cover is so funny. <laughs> it reminds me of old Action Man artwork. You were you a big like, Action Man decks? collector when you I were I was a, a big <laughs> So was I. So was I. I had oh. like a big toy chest full of them. Same. I had, uh, I had like, I think I had a moon buggy one. I, I had nothing else to go with it, so it's just like action ones on the moon, like just a random moon. But I, I had like a Doctor X figure, you know that guy with just a one arm, yeah, 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 and he just had a big axe on his chest. I had the um Falcon action man. He was my favorite one. Shoots a falcon, oh, <laughs> so patriotic. Wow. <laughs> I had one that had a gun like stuck to his arm. So oh, I had that. I had that one. The gun. That was the first. You had to press. You had to press the button on his arm. Yeah, yeah I that was tattoo. the first one I got. I'm getting so nostalgic right now. <laughs> oh, I was my fourth. I was four. I got it for Christmas. Well, anyway, good question. Love <laughs> <laughs> action. Uh, so we actually have a fan question as well from um, Sam Milner, an avid listener. Mm, sounds a like a good-looking of- guy. Yeah. Well, uh, his question is, which film or game was amazing up until the ending section? <laughs> also, why is Ben so devilishly handsome? Oh, well, I can't account for my <laughs> good looks. <laughs> well, it's actually two questions, so we're just going to stick with the first one, I think. Uh, uh, well, why am I so devilishly handsome, Dave? Uh, don't you have an answer for that? Like I said, uh, let's just stick with it. <laughs> Do you have anything that comes to mind? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, okay, well, I have a film for this question. It's actually a film I like a lot, but I think the ending is rubbish. Mine's Scott Pilgrim versus the world. I think oh, okay. yeah, the ending I is really that. disappointing. I hate how he gets back with Ramona. It's spoilers, sorry, for Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> he gets with Ramona at the end. And I hate that because that's just like, uh, level. I want to level with you. I don't think Scott is a likable character throughout the movie. You know, yeah. he cheats on his girlfriend just to get with this girl. And then at the end, he has a chance to redeem himself. And what does he do? Just gets back from Rona. Like, and I heard uh, Edgar Wright didn't want to put that mo- ending in. He did that because a test audience said they didn't oh, want really? him to get with knives. Because have you seen the alternative cut where he gets with knives at the end? No, I haven't actually. I've read all the comic book and I know the, the story was a lot better in the comic. Mm. The movie is great. It is just the ending. It lets oh, love the movie. Well. I just hate that ending so much. Yeah. And uh, really... It doesn't let down the movie for me, but it's a big reason why I don't watch it all the time, you know? Uh, so for me, uh, and I've not played any Fable games, but it's Fable 3. I think a lot of people agree, would agree uh, with me here. I, I um, watched uh, Angry Joe's review where he, uh, <laughs> he talked about okay. how bad the game was, so don't worry about it. So I, I really enjoyed the game. A lot of people don't like Fable games because they are kind of the same formula 
wrapped up. But I don't know, I, I really enjoy I like the universe. Um, it's quite enjoyable. Deer has put Scar's characters in as well. It's quite good. <laughs> so the ending, basically your brother is the king. Mm-hmm. And there's like an oncoming threat. You get to a point where basically your brother is making all these like tyrannical decisions and you're like trying to overthrow him. So it gets to a point where you get, where you, you know, overcome that and you overthrow him or whatever, you become a new king. Mm-hmm. And then you've got to deal with what he was about to try to deal with. Mm-hmm. You realise why he's being a, a prick and you've got to either, you basically got to raise three million in-game gold or something like that. But the only way to raise that gold efficiently is to have invested in property throughout the city. <laughs> or you play a river minigame for a stupid <laughs> amount of time. And it's like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> so basically stupid. to get the good ending, you have to play a lot of minigames or invest it early in property. Which you is, know what? Uh, that sounds ridiculous and it made me think of another game with an awful ending i was just thinking because i hate it when you get to the end of a game and to like add a bunch of time on they make you do like an arbitrary task you know like um yeah and another game guilty of this is um i hate to say it the wind waker um i hate 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 that bit at the end where you and this is just on the gamecube one they cut it out in the wii u re-release but um You have to collect uh, eight shards of the Triforce, you know, classic Zelda style. Yeah. And it costs a ridiculous <laughs> amount of move- rubies to decipher the maps you need off Tingle. Yeah. Like, I'm talking like the whole quest costs you upwards of like, I don't know, like 50,000 rupees. So it's a massive <laughs> rupee quest and it's just boring. And it's uh, it's the reason I don't replay Wind Waker that much. I'm yeah. not going to lie, you know. <laughs> that sounds like what Fable 3 is. Like, it's just like adding hours onto the game needlessly. Well, it's supposed to be like a mor- morale decision. Like, how many people, who are you going to, where are you going to put the resources you have? Are you going to save mm. these people or these people? What, you know, resources are you going to focus on? Mm. But, just- yeah, it's just like... It's stupid. And the whole thing about, like, how... Why didn't your brother just tell you what was happening instead of, like, <laughs> acting like a, a like an arsehole? And then he's like, actually, if you would uh, bother to ask. <laughs> it's so... It sounds so stupid. stupid. It makes me never yeah. want to play uh, Fable 3, I'll tell you that much. I wasn't going yeah. to, but... But what's weird is that's not even the end of the game. Like, after that, there's quite a lot of stuff to do in, like, a foreign like region you go to and all that mm, mm. yeah i would definitely give fable one and two a go and then if you enjoy them play free why well, I, I used to watch my friend play fable two a lot as a kid and it looked okay you know you get fable two is very good yeah. ending's bullshit but i remember the end you know the funny thing is i remember the ending because my friend was complaining about how stupid it is like, yeah and i'm like yeah it sounds you either stupid. save Anyone who died. Yeah. You save your dog. Yeah, I remember the bit about saving your dog and everyone chooses option. Like, yeah. Or can't you be like filthy stinking rich or something? Yeah, it's like, cool. Yeah, great. What an ending. Thank you, Peter, for that one. Yeah. <laughs> wow. A tough morale decision. That reminds me of another game. I don't know if it's a bad ending, but Mass Effect 1, when oh. I first played through, spoilers, but I talked the main bad guy into killing himself. <laughs> <laughs> and then the game ended, and I was like, "Well, that was shit." So <laughs> what did I the reloaded. Go like? I don't remember, but you basically convinced him that he's an idiot. Or like his plan was ridiculous. Why don't you kill yourself? <laughs> he basically shoots himself in the head, and it's like, "Oh, and that's uh-huh. it." That's ridiculous. So I reloaded it and just decided to do the boss battle instead. <laughs> which, that's uh, that's um that's a lot which like was the, entertaining. That's a lot like the new Vegas um thing where you can talk the uh, bad guy in that game oh, if yeah. your speech is high enough to not invade, you know, yeah. the 
Do you remember that? <laughs> I feel like that's a bit more satisfying now. Than no, like that's. Ethics, I was going to say that's a lot more satisfying yeah, because um, it's, that's about politics. But I don't know. I guess you could say Mass Effect was. But. Well, what I liked about what Obsidian did there was um, how they like made it a, like a conversation that could, in reality, happen. You know, where you're like, yeah, trying to yeah, because obviously yeah. you're gonna. But when this like bad guy has got to the final like point where he's gonna enact his plan, mm. you're like. Don't do that. And he's like, oh. <laughs> All right, you're on a bus. <laughs> just seemed a bit silly, like. But on the flip side, though, I love the ending in Mass Effect Two, uh, which is the only one I've played. When you play a morale game, do you always go the good path, or do you like? I always give a good path. I think. Yeah, so do I, because I'm a little puss. But <laughs> there you go. I find it weird when some people don't like envision like play it, play role playing game, and don't have. Um, be the character if you get if that makes sense well i don't find that too weird um like, like depends... i always make a character that isn't like me at all mm. but yeah, like, I, I do that as my well. first character is always uh like a avatar of me essentially I, like i, try I think do. i used i used to do that more but i, I stopped um yeah because I, I just preferred doing it where i make someone that wasn't like me at all and being really evil but um it just depends the way you want to play the game either way's fine i remember in new vegas i made like a revenge run where i would literally kill everyone and that was a lot of fun and when i just got to benny and killed him i just ended the game because i was like no point after this that's it <laughs> i remember in skyrim i made a there was an achievement where you've got to get ten thousand bounty in like every hold yeah so i made an orc character and just got like a horse and a battle axe and just <laughs> i think i put on like death clock yeah and then just ran around with skyrim killing everyone i i would always um go as a nord whenever i was playing skyrim or oblivion because I, I guess like what we were saying like i wanted to be like me in the game yeah but, uh, yeah. yeah and they were like the most it. human characters i guess yeah yeah i always try and play a human i think when i first played oblivion now i actually went as an argonian i think because when i was younger i was just like cool but when i was old like a cool lizard man but when i was old to be fair the humans are really ugly (laughs) yeah i haven't played it since i was a kid i got the game when i was like like 10 whatever but um i'd always go to nord but uh, my brother would go as like archers and stuff what no not archers, elves and stuff like that so you're better in archery What's that really good sneaking yeah. class? Is that Khajiit? Khajiit, the yeah. or Dark Elves, I guess. What are the lizard people? <laughs> that's what they I are going in. That's, yeah. yeah, that's, I can't remember any of the races. <laughs> good question though, Sam, thank you.
All right, welcome to the film recommendation of the week. This week, I've recommended Taxi Driver to Dave, as he hasn't seen it before. And uh, I'm sure we'll be getting all of Dave's insights and thoughts. But first, I thought I'd just give you a little context on the film. So released in 76, but um, the actual inception of the idea began a, a long time before this, with a film movement that came out at the time called New Hollywood. And just to explain what um, New Hollywood is, it all started around the 50s when Hollywood wasn't doing very good at the time. Films were losing money. Because of the advent of television, the film cinemas weren't popular anymore because people were going. So what the cinemas tended to do was leaned heavily into the spectacle of the thing. They were pushing things like 3Ds, Cinemascope, you know, they were getting musicals on the go. Uh, they used to have cinemas, like three screens wide. So if you can imagine like our oh, one screen cinemas these days, this was like a panoramic view. It's a famous film. They did How the West Was Won. I was to do this with. but you know to cut a long story short they were really pushing cinemas back into the minds of the people they they tried to come out of all these films like epics and musicals like Toro 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 in Oklahoma <laughs> they failed unfortunately and there's a famous film at the time Cleopatra that came out which was a huge sprawling epic this set is like bigger than anything you can ever believe but yeah, failed. <laughs> what they did instead, the Hollywood execs, where they uh, they started looking at their audiences at the time, and they were noticing that it was it was the baby boomer generation that was at the time then, and they were interested in film, more art house type of films like French New Waves and Spaghetti Westerns. They were a sort of innovative bunch, the baby boomers back then. While the film studios started to get so desperate for money, they started just taking risks on younger filmmakers, and they, they promised no studio control. And if you'll like, notice films back Back then and films today are very different this is a big reason why so because they just were guaranteed to like just get on younger filmmakers it resulted in a huge boom of newer films a film movement new hollywood and people say that this film movement began with a film called bonnie and clyde in 1967 i don't know if you've seen that i think i have i've seen bits of it at least it's quite a famous one um it's if it's sort of a story of two outlaws obviously bonnie and clyde yeah sort of um uh, a simpler style of shooting than traditional Hollywood, you know, sort of uh, up close, handheld, that type of thing. It was a very small scale, basically, and it was a small yeah. budget film. But the film actually did uh, amazingly. And this, you know, proved to Hollywood execs that this idea could work. And this started to pave its way to films like uh, The Graduate, Night of the Living Dead, all the way up to like films like 2001, A Space Odyssey, The Godfather. And of course, Taxi Driver. These these films were so different to anything audience has seen before. It really drove them in the cinema. They they always subverted narrative. They were filmed actually outside of a film set for once on like real location on 35mm usually. They were sort of realistic. They had anti-establishment themes. And for the first time, they actually started to use real music from the real world instead of, you know... Or orchestral music, like um, I saw at the top of my head a good film that does that is uh, if you've seen Mean Streets, it's another Scorsese film. It's quite good. It's about gangsters, and they it was famous for using you know real music and all this. Uh, but Scorsese, as was, as I'm saying, is a pioneer of New Hollywood. One of the most no notorious of uh, the group he was in. He had a whole group of friends who were all directors, and that consisted of people like Francis Ford Coppola, George Lucas, John Milneux. Brian De Palma, Steven Spielberg, and they were dubbed the movie brats, so to speak. Uh, not a very good name, but what are you going to do? Uh, usually, if you wanted to get into Hollywood films back then, uh, you'd be trained in the theatre or television or novels or what have you. But these were the first generation of filmmakers that actually trained in the art of film. So they were 
they were learning film for film's sake. You know, they were innovators. They all helped each other in all of their movies. You know, um, George Lucas shot second unit for The Godfather. Spielberg made suggestions for the edit of Taxi Driver. And the whole gang weighed in on uh, Lucas's rough cut of Star Wars. And it was famously De Palma who actually helped Lucas rewrite the opening crawl for that, interestingly. So they were all mates who sort of helped each other in films. So, Taxi Driver actually had a budget of $1.9 which is pretty low by today's standards. I know it might seem like a lot. It was a big part of the success for the film because they made so much profit in the door and made Scorsese have a huge career after this. Uh, a big part of the film itself is actually trying to differentiate between reality and the dream. Scorsese says uh, Taxi Driver arose from the feeling that, um, you know, movies are sort of like dreams or drug-induced fantasies sort of thing. And that obviously plays a lot in the film. A big part of the film's creation was obviously Robert De Niro, who plays the main character, Travis, as you probably know, Dave, um, De Niro actually improvised a lot of the lines. Like the whole, do you remember that whole scene with Sybil in the coffee shop on their date? Oh, yeah. That whole scene is just improvisation. Which okay, is interesting. that's interesting. It kinda, you you kind of see it because it's such an awkward scene. <laughs> yeah. You're like, where is this going? But, um, and a huge part of the film for De Niro was um, something we hear a lot about today, but we didn't really hear about much back then at all, which was method acting, a new style of acting. And uh, obviously everyone and their mothers does it these days, but back then it was a new thing. Like um, De Niro, for this film, he got a taxi driver license and he would drive around the city for a couple of weeks. But what's actually crazy about this is he did it while shooting another movie in Italy at the same time called 1900. So he would like fly back and drive cabs like and stuff. But um, And whilst filming this in Italy, he visited an army base uh, and got recordings of soldiers from the US to really get a feel for Travis's character. So he put a lot of preparation. He, he wasn't just, you know, sending pigs to cast members and things like that. He actually did some work. <laughs> it's quite impressive. And it, it obviously pays off a lot in the movie. Yeah. I just want to quickly mention the scriptwriter as well, uh, Paul Schrader. Uh, he was inspired by the diaries of an assassin, a would-be assassin even, called Arthur Brenner, who tried to assassinate a presidential candidate. He was also, in, weirdly, I know this is weird, but he was inspired by himself as well, <laughs> as he was suffering from insomnia as he wrote it, which uh, led yeah. to him frequenting all the open places at night, like the porno stores and stuff like that. Schrader actually made Travis a Vietnam vet, uh, so this personality would blend in with his post-war psychosis. It makes it, he made the experience more intense, threatening, you know. And one last interesting thing to note about this movie is that it takes place in 70s New York. And I don't know if you noticed this through the movie, but uh, in New York does not look good in the movie. It's yeah. sort of, it was on the verge of bankruptcy at the time. So not only is it quite an interesting story-driven film, but it's quite an interesting film to sort of analyse what New York, New York yeah. looked like in the 70s. Like it's scummy, it's grotty. It's like a sort of like a landscape, like... Um, like films like The Joker try to recapture, you know, when they try to do recapture. Yeah, definitely. You can obviously see that. I'll yeah. just quickly give you like um, a once over the story. It takes place in 70s New York. Travis Bick is the main character. He's basically a Vietnam warfare. He has health problems. And the film takes place in a narration style, which tells us his inner thoughts throughout the movies. And he's, he's pretty, uh, yeah, he's got some things wrong with him there. He has encounters with people throughout the movie, some of the worst people you can ever met, meet, uh, like a man about to murder his cheating wife, pimps with child prostitutes, <laughs> you know. He, he meets the whole gambit. He calls New York a sewer. He says the rain will wash him off the streets. And there's a romantic subplot 
in the movie. And there's also another subplot involving Jodie Foster, who plays a 12-year-old prostitute. Yeah, that's pretty much the film. Sorry for me rambling on there, but we'll we'll get uh, to some questions because I'm actually really interested to hear what Dave yeah. thought of the film. So just question number one, you know, what, what were your first impressions while watching the film, you know? So I think overall the the film was hyped up quite a bit for mm. me. Not from anyone in particular, just in general from, you know, people... It's got a huge the, critical acclaim, the, you know. Yeah, the amount of um, fame the film has. Um, mm-hmm. It's constantly referenced throughout media, so I was, no, I was expecting... <laughs> I think I was expecting a bigger film when I went in. It's quite small scale, isn't it? Yeah, It's very small scale and it's very small production-wise, which is... You know that's fine. It, I had to kind of, I had to stand back a bit and realize what I was watching. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it had been amped. I think it had been amped up to be a um, a more epic film. I guess. Did you have any expectations of the film before you watched it? Then uh, what were you thinking? Um, I didn't really know much about it. If I'm honest, uh, obviously I know the scene. I know it's. A, I knew it was about a, a Vietnam veteran. I didn't really know that much. I just knew he did something drastic. Mm-hmm. And that's it, really. I yeah. didn't really know that much, surprisingly. Well, it's kind of a yeah. better. It's a better film, I think, if you don't know much about the story um, and you don't know where it's going. Definitely, yeah. I, 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 I know what you mean about the small scaleness of it. It's, uh, it's really sort of. It's just a character study of one person, really. But, exactly. Uh, it's a big part of why I like the movie. You know, it's so interesting and things. Yeah, like yeah. That. There, like I said, there's nothing wrong with that. It was just uh, my initial expectation was amped up a lot due to. How, how big the film is mm, mm. outside of the film like from mm. media and uh, references to it's it. referenced in just everything and anything you know yeah. you can't get away with it you can't get away yeah. from it it's like um say if you've never watched the matrix it's like a film yeah. like that and you're like oh it's that scene you know obviously yeah. you'd heard of the you talking to me scene and all that i think i dislike the joker even more now yeah. <laughs> what because you can just <laughs> see it just ripped off it's basically this film <laughs> So, oh, that's interesting, actually. So, when you watch Joker for the first time, were you like, "Oh, yeah, it's quite an original movie, at least"? Well, know? I didn't, I, I didn't think it was original. I mean, I mean, I didn't have anything to compare it to, but I was like, "Wow, it's even less of a film than I thought it was." Because it's just this film again. <laughs> it's literally so it... this film. And it's it's pretty ridiculous. Like how it, much of it? You could probably call Gotham like a. I mean, sorry, you could probably call Joker like a pseudo sequel to Taxi Driver in a way. It's so similar. Like... Yeah, copycat killer. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. This, this... it's like I don't know. Obviously, Joker is a good film, but it's mm. like I don't know. People, I think people give it too much credit, and then even after after watching Tax Driver, yeah, I'm even more kind of in that hole of why do people give Joker so much hype as a big DC fan? So yeah, uh, and I just wanted to ask after that, um, what did you think of um, Bernard Herrmann's score in the background? It's um. It was actually his last movie score. He's quite a famous composer. He used to do all the Hitchcock films and things like that. I'm a big fan of it. I just want to gauge your reaction to it. It's very different to his other orchestral scores. I've got to say, unfortunately, I was not a big fan. And I think it was... That's fine, that's fine. It was the biggest detriment to the film for me, personally. Mm Mm-hmm. It just really felt like placeholder music. It didn't feel mm. like it should have been in the final cut. They kept calling back to like two of the tracks specifically yeah. throughout the film. Like <laughs> at one point, one is meant to re- like be a different version of the the theme, I guess, of the film. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, the driving around theme. I don't know what it's called. But da, it's, na, we'll na, na, yeah. Na. yeah, you don't know what. <laughs> um, but yeah, it just, I don't know, it just really took me out of the, this film. It didn't feel like it fit naturally. It's funny you mention it because um, it is one of my favourite scores by itself. But um, this yeah. time when I was uh, listening to it, it did take me out of the movie a little bit. I think you can put it down to it, it was a new style of film at the time, so he didn't really, you know, it's not does not form Yeah. Order. Yeah, I think Martin Scott Scorsese was just such a big fan of Bernard Herrmann. He just whacked yeah. it in the movie, and he died two days after recording the score. But um, damn, yeah, I think can't it's really take it out of that point, can you? If I had to just yeah, exactly. It's like oh, awkward. <laughs> but uh, it's sort of um, it's an interesting mix of music. It's sort of saxophone jazz, um, mm. and the saxophone is a huge part of the score. And it, as you say, it like keeps coming back, recurring itself. But um, I think it's interesting to say the least. Yeah. What would you put instead if you were making the movie? Um, just music wise, I don't know. Maybe as I don't know, someone who has trouble sleeping, I guess maybe diegetic sound just to mm. really prompt you up awake. Any slight, like you near know, beeping, like distant, like um, you know, something to show that he's tired. But the sound, like the sound of a city, the city that he doesn't like, or the city he despises, is just keeping him awake constantly. Um, Maybe even callbacks to a Vietnam, like... Ah, that would be quite interesting, actually. I, I could see it being made sort of today. Um, what's that, Jake Gyllenhaal? It's sort of in a Nightcrawler style, Nightcrawler. I guess. Yeah, yeah, Nightcrawler or even Birdman with a kind of drumming, like... Oh, the Birdman soundtrack is so good. And that just I fits really drumming well. would be good. Drummond would kind of fit in with the Vietnam thing with, like, it's constant in his mind. You can hear, like... Like a sort of Jumanji drum, you know, like... Constant. Maybe not like, <laughs> like jungle. What's drums, this board like, game, Travis? <laughs> like even just drums, where it's like triggering, like you know, it could be the sound of bullets, or it's just you know a cityscape drumming. Uh, like, it's quite interesting that I guess they could have called back to Vietnam. Yeah. Well, I guess they didn't have the budget for it, but you know, it would have been interesting. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, that's uh, I've never thought of that before. Yeah. But like I said, that's just a personal thing, and I think yeah. it wouldn't have even been an issue at the time. Do you like the score taken out of the movie context? Just completely um, by itself. Yeah, I liked how it it reflect it called back to itself, like mm. it used the same kind of um, what do you call it chords and mm-hmm. later bits just to as a callback to you know the original yeah. theme yeah. and at the ending it also does that again just as like a look where we've come on this journey. P- well, that well that's interesting you mentioned that because uh, people say that the end of the film sort of ties back to the start in a sort of circular yeah. narrative, and uh, I think the music does help with that. Yeah. Uh, anyway interesting but there you go um so for my third question i just want to ask you um going back to the story um a lot of the film is up to the viewer's interpretation of what is actually happening and what doesn't he you know scorsese doesn't make it clear what's real and what isn't um so i just want to ask what scenes do you think are real and you know so until you mentioned the uh the unsureness i was kind of on the i was subscribed to the idea that everything mm. was real except the ending. Yeah, I think it's definite the ending didn't De- The ending is yeah. spot on. Like, I was a yeah. bit worried because of how old the film is, would they have done something like that? <laughs> I did look that up just to make sure people were uh, It's it. funny, I went... Do you know the YouTube channel movie clips where they just cut up a movie? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I went to the last one and it was the ending and people were adamant in the comments that that was real, that actually happened. And I was like, no, uh, it didn't. You missed the whole point. 
the uh, sort of consensus I saw was the, yeah. the ending. I was of the impression after the actual, you know, mm. buff. He dies up there sort of thing. Yeah, or even if he doesn't die, the ever anything beyond there, he's in a coma and that's it. What, like, that's f- it. Well, my point about that is he gets shot in the neck, like... I don't know does how he? you're going to survive. Oh, yeah, he does. Yeah, when that guy comes behind him. He survive <laughs> God, he got shot. Yeah. He gets shot so much. I'm just amazed he makes it that far. You know? <laughs> Such a great scene. I'm sure scene. it's possible. He gets found pretty quickly. but Yeah. Well, I, I re- the other thing is he kills, you know, mercilessly, mercilessly, yeah. like three people. Like, do you think he's going to be celebrated as a hero, go back to his taxi job? <laughs> You know, like, oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And even the letter that Iris's parents wrote, it's very, it's yeah, so, it very it's kind of like he's he's written it to himself, you know. Yeah, what he thinks <laughs> his thanks will be. Yeah, the well, I know it is very monotone. Uh, to me, there's no question in my mind the ending is fake. I don't care yeah, what absolutely. any, I don't care what school says. He says I don't I care. Think... What, you know. Yeah, I think the um, maybe the, the relationship he had, maybe a lot of that was embellished. See, here's what I was going to go on to next. I think the whole relationship subplot just didn't happen, you know, um, because yeah. there's a few indicators. I think the first time, you know, she, he sees her when she, he's just staring at her out of the taxi. Yeah. I think that was probably real. But bits like where he goes in and confidently asks her, like, um, yeah. go on a date. I think that's all in his head sort of thing. And I think, you know, the yeah. cinematography and the editing sort of nod to this, you know, like, and the way he's dressed when he goes on a date, he looks really nice. Exactly. And it's sort of like in slow motion when he's walking through the crowd. And the, um, you know, it's just like subtle yeah. things that makes me think none of that happened, you know? <laughs> like, I think um, one thing I really love about the film is that they kind of portray him as, like, a lump of clay. Uh, yeah. Like, he's come back from Vietnam. It seems like he's t- picking up traits from everyone around him. Mm-hmm. Like, Just uh, moulding himself, like... Yeah, like... um, Like, the porno theatre thing, he probably... Mm. Like, the fact that in a date he thinks that's a normal thing to do, maybe... Well, when he takes... Just... Uh, I don't remember what her name is, the um, lady he has a relationship with, but uh, when he takes her to the porno theatre, he acts like it's so normal, you know? It's it's exactly what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, exactly. You know? So, like, he must have maybe learned that from someone, or someone who took him to one, and mm-hmm. he just thinks that's a normal thing to do. Mm-hmm. He doesn't mm-hmm. realise how ab- ab- abnormal or abstract his life actually is. Um, yeah. The tax driver thing, he's only doing that because it's a way for him to you know, make money if he's staying awake. Mm. He's constantly kept awake. Mm-hmm. Um, it's never really specifically addressed, but you just see him adapting to whatever is happening around him. Like his racism uh, may have been imprinted on him from someone else. Because that's I think never really explained. It's never really addressed, but I think the way... and. You know, the narration through the movie, how he's doing, like, his journal, it sort of yeah. adds to that fact you can see that he's taken from his environment. Exactly, and things yeah. like that, definitely. Like, are. even the music, he she mentions a song, he, uh, or a specific album, he picked, buys an album. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the gun as well, he buys a gun based on someone else mentioning that specific gun type. And, yeah, someone says it, he does it sort of thing. I've never thought uh, thought about it like that, but yeah, you're definitely yeah. right there, yeah. And the biggest thing, of course, is his political stance. He just completely... 
decides what, his political stance without knowing anything about the actual what they stand for. I love it when Palantine's in his cab and he and he's like to him like, uh, so what political int- issues interest you the most? He's like, I don't know, sir. I don't really follow politics. <laughs> yeah, after picking him up and saying, oh, we're gonna vote for you. you know, yeah, <laughs> it's so funny. But then also in that scene as well, a little. Uh, Little, uh, I've got a little film school essay you can oh. write about based on oh, this. Uh, hit me, hit me. Palantine's in the back, mm. and he's separated by the taxi uh, window screen mm-hmm. between Travis Pickles. So it's mm-hmm. like, wow. Well, so well, like a partition, a, like uh, yeah, separating. A partition separating yeah. classes and. Uh, oh bloody hell! Yeah, so I'm not. I'm not. Then. I'm not stealing your thesis or anything, but uh, just well, noting that. Well, <laughs> As long as you put me at the end of that one. I was thinking of something like that as well. You know, going back to the ending again, you know, when he's talking to Sybil in the cab. uh, Yeah. yeah. Again, I think it's interesting how, like, he never actually looks at Sybil. He just keeps touching the um, rear view mirror. Uh, Oh, no. No, sorry. The camera shot is just the rear view mirror. You never see her in the back, you know. Just going off that. It's quite interesting how they film shots like in the taxi and things like that. It definitely alludes to the dreamlike quality of the film, you know. It's like a claustrophobic kind of feel. mm, mm. I think uh, I'll be asking about this later, but the cinematography in the cab is really interesting, stuff like that. Yeah. Anyway, moving on, I just wanted to ask question four. Um, Are there any standout scenes in your mind? Did anything just take you by surprise? You really loved it, you know? Uh, I was surprised how quickly he killed the um, the guy in the shop. Uh, Mm. The black guy is holding up the store. Because he's just just like, hey, and then he just shoots him, you know? Yeah, he just shoots him (laughs) straight away. It's like, okay, no hesitation. I I, I would be kind of interested in how, why is he racist? Is that just something, where's that come Mm. from? I feel like that could have been explored a bit. Like, I'm not sure if the scene with the guy talking about his wife being cheated on i feel mm. like that should have maybe been in a bit earlier because that would have explained it how he well maybe... there's a few f- times in the film where race is brought up and i think another one is when he says he, you know he'll allow black people into his cabs it doesn't bother him none you know he really addresses it there and at time mm. in the cab do you know by the way i didn't mention this before but the guy in the cab who's threatening to kill his wife do you know that's that martin, martin, scorsese. martin scorsese yeah, yeah. I, I think it's funny he just picked i didn't the know creep- first but i did uh, see it <laughs> I just think it's funny he picked the creepiest possible role for himself. Like, yeah. like he's the worst person in the movie, that guy. Yeah. Definitely. What's good about that scene as well, um, where he's, you know, threatening to go upstairs and he's going to kill his wife, is it, it makes Travis look normal by comparison. It does, yeah. Which is just... But the fact that he says that it's a black guy that his, his wife mm. is cheating on him with and that's, of, uh, in his mind, such a disgusting thing because mm-hmm. of that he's going to kill her because of that. I feel like that would have been a better scene to be earlier on, to kind of build up attention. Cut like, a bit earlier in, yeah. And it would have explained maybe his racism. I don't know if that's maybe something that was meant to be in that that kind of you know, mm. order originally, but I feel like that would have held up. Because I, I feel like he just randomly becomes racist throughout the film. And mm. Well, I, it's funny, I wasn't picking on that up as much as you because I was just thinking in my head, um, God, he just hates everyone. It doesn't matter who they are. You know, he just hates everything, you know. But I know I know what yeah. you mean. Like, he, he just but had he, a re- There is definitely a focus on his racism. Mm. But mm-hmm. it's like it's never explained why. I mean, it could just be, you know, a sign of the times, but I don't know. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's it's 
I'm just trying <laughs> try to think now. I guess I've never thought of that before. Just, you're bringing up a lot of interesting facts here. Thank you. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I mean, maybe at the time of the film, it just didn't need any uh, explanation. Yeah. Sort of a film in its context. Common, yeah. Yeah. I think Travis is a pretty messed up guy in general. Like, you, you could see that throughout the movie. Uh, that, that's One great. thing that took me by surprise is the finale with the. Um... The, yeah, the whole uh, the shootout, the shootout. That it just felt a bit weak, mm. I guess, for what I was expecting. But that might be, mm. like I said, the my initial thing. About it's it's quite a gr- it's, it's quite a gruesome scene. It is yeah, yeah. Uh, it it kind of reminds me, you know, how in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood they do like a whole the whole movie is very different to the ending, and that's just you know, yeah, yeah, gruesome. I do like as well the um, this is a cinematography point. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the guy who kind of runs that B and B, I guess you call it, hotel, um, <laughs> yeah, he yeah, just yeah. comes out of the shadows, constantly, <laughs> kind of like a Hitchcock like character, just like <laughs> uh, ready to take any money. I, I'll mention another cinematography thing in that scene. You know that last shot where it's in the roof and um, yeah. you know it cuts over. Do you know how long it took them to do that shot? No, three weeks because they cut a hole in the roof to shoot it. <laughs> Oh, I just think that's crazy. You know? Where was it shot? Was it actually shot in New York? Yeah. It's shot in location in New York in that building, so they actually cut a hole in the actual roof, which is just mental to think of. But, um, you, you know, these filmmakers had to get innovative back then. It wasn't all cut and dry. You <laughs> know? Cut, cut a hole in the wall. <laughs> it's pretty mental to think of today, but just interesting. But, yeah, uh, I, I love a lot of the scenes in the movie. I, I, I do... I think that's Martin Scorsese's scene where he's in the back of the cab. That's one of the best ones. And um, just yeah, I, I like I like it when he's trying to assassinate Palantine. I like no, I like it when he goes to scope out the Palantine rally, and he just talks to that Secret Service guy and gives him all the wrong information. Like I couldn't stop laughing. There. Yeah, I do like that scene. As far as I, I didn't think he was a Secret Service guy from the conversation. I thought maybe that's what I was just... getting as well. Just to, like yeah. just, I don't know. I thought he was just putting like. Portray putting his own kind of uh, what do you call it like visual on it, like thinking mm. he's he thinks this good. Um, I don't get why he actually was trying to assassinate Pantino. Was that just I guess make, it's I like really what you were him. saying? It's like he was a lump of clay that everything was being you know built on, and he kind of wanted to do something with the new knowledge he'd gained. I guess. Uh, or but nothing was kind of pointing him towards killing him. Everyone was pointing him towards like, oh yeah, let's support this guy. And he was supporting the guy and then he just randomly was going to shoot him. Was I that think just as an active relationship? Maybe. Thing, so? I don't know. Maybe it's because, you know, the whole film is portrayed like uh, like one of these, you know, shooters you hear about in the news and assassins yeah. would be well, assassins. Yeah. And he wanted to do something important. Uh, it it kind of seems, comes off as just you know his psychosis how crazy it is but i know i don't have a good answer for you but um fell out of place like i feel like mm. it's interesting anyway that's that's to say uh, anyway let's move on to the uh, next question so question five um so what do you think travis was trying to it, this is kind of going on to what we were saying but what do you think he was trying to achieve throughout the film when do you think he was able to sort of achieve the goal in his own mind you know um, I don't really know what a goal is. At first, we just see him trying to get a job just to escape from whatever trauma he's suffered in Vietnam, mm-hmm. uh, just to you know have a, find a use for why for his um, 
what's it called? Uh, uh, insomnia. He's trying to find a reason to do something mm. to make use of it, I guess, rather mm. than just find a solution to fix his insomnia. Yeah, which is interesting. He's just trying to find a use for himself, which may have been something to do with him being in the army in the first place. Mm-hmm. Like he wanted to be useful, um, mm-hmm. but then he clearly, obviously, wanted uh, a love interest. I think he just wanted a normal life. He does send letters to his parents, doesn't he? There's yeah, like a, at one point. Uh, at that yeah. point, I was like, are his parents even real? You know, I was questioning it. You know? I think they may be, I mean, obviously it's down to, down to you as an interpreter, but I reckon mm-hmm. he they are real and he doesn't want to go home because he doesn't want them to see what he's become after Vietnam. He just doesn't know what to do with himself. Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to find some sense of importance. Mm-hmm. So he's pretending to be... a you know, a military, what's it called, a secret serviceman. Mm. Um, so, so they think he's, like, working in the government, so something's become of him. So I think he's just trying to get somewhere, do something good, an act of good. He's but, trying to get a normal life. I, I like that. I didn't think of it yeah. like that. He's trying to, you know, be good, get the nine-to-five job. But um, I, it, it's funny throughout the movie because he, he does things that, like, sort of, portrayed him in a sort of heroic light like that you know we were just talking about the shopkeep scene you know he actually saves that shopkeep but you know it's interesting yeah. just like why does yeah. he do that it's i it's mean like that could even it may not even be a racist thing in that could just be that, yeah. he's just shooting him for the heck it just happened it, yeah. to be yeah um, yeah no it's interesting um i think throughout the movie it's interesting he's trying to like preserve some kind of innocence throughout the movie I think we haven't really touched on this, but, you know, the subplot yeah. with Iris, you know, um, 12-year-old prostitute, and he's trying to just yeah. save her the whole time, like, you've got to get out of here, you know. But I, I was always questioning when he was doing like, oh, why is he doing that? Like, he doesn't have any reason to. Is he just trying to be what he sees as good? Like, yeah. it's just interesting. That's all. Yeah, like, I, I was surprised as well how little she was in the film. Uh, it's just towards the end, yeah. Do you, it's have you heard of her? About- yeah. Before, yeah, I knew about her role, and um, but yeah, I was just surprised at how little she was actually in the film. Because um, it's sort of like the relation, the relationship subplot ends, and then her sort of begins after that. You know, uh, yeah, I feel like it's I, in the very last, like it feels like the last twenty minutes of a film. Or something. It's just all wrapped up. She's quite an interesting character throughout the movie. I, but. Yeah, I think the film definitely ended abruptly. Um, With the sort of dream sequence. Honest. Yeah, it was just I felt a bit like. Felt a bit lackluster. Kind of like Blade Runner as well? did, and yeah, I don't know. Uh, I feel like um, there was some. I mean, I like amb- ambiguous endings, but I don't know, mm. sometimes you just want an answer. I guess a bit of filler. Yeah, I guess if you want to like buy into the idea that it wasn't a dream at the end, that gives you resolution. But you know, <laughs> it's ambiguous. Or isn't even it? just uh, more of Travis at his like cinematic peak like at his character complete, <laughs> if that makes sense but we yeah. just kind of it just happens he does the shoot up and that's it like well we'll, we'll have to find out in taxi driver 2 won't we hope that's yeah. coming out soon <laughs> 20 taxi driver 20 36 <laughs> uber driver <laughs> so uh <laughs> <Yeah>. for, for <laughs> lift lift <laughs> <laughs> It's like it's like Creed, but he's trading another <laughs> lift driver. <laughs> right, here's what you gotta do if you wanna get rid of the scum on the streets. I'm gonna train you up. <laughs> you gotta teach me how to drive this lift. <laughs> <laughs> Got a delivery of McDonald's meal. 
it would be so funny if they did like a sequel and he was like a hardened veteran of like a taxi driver. <laughs> yeah, still That's a great idea. <laughs> His like weird mates are still there at the diner. <laughs> like, oh, bloody hell. Anyway, <laughs> but uh, I wanted to ask as well, um, were there any filmmaking techniques that impressed you particularly? We talked about it a bit before, but cinematography, editing, lighting, music, you know, all the basics, anything that got you there? One thing I was confused about, I don't know if you, I don't know if it was a copy of a film I had. I watched a Blu-ray version. And I think I know what you're going to ask, but go on. Okay, so when he first goes into the porno theatre the very first time, uh-huh. the screen was blurred. Oh, no, that must have, porno. must have been your copy. I thought you were going to ask That was that. weird. Yeah, <laughs> I don't no, know why, no. but then Just, what, a later blurred? version, when they go into the cinema again, it's not blurred. <laughs> so I was like, what? <laughs> Oh, I don't remember that. Maybe the camera was out of focus. <laughs> Were you just uh, like, what is going on here? <laughs> I was like, are we actually censoring this? Like, <laughs> did they not get the rights for that copy? Uh, they, they, they couldn't do the copyright in the porno fears. You know? Exactly. I was yeah. like, it's bizarre. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, I. Okay, so this is not related to the question at all, but I can't think of an answer. But. Did they did they actually sell popcorn at porno theaters? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what else are you gonna he munch on? When you're d- what else are you gonna munch on when you're jacking it, Dave? <laughs> you can't do you a popcorn re- trick on yourself, can you? What's the popcorn trick? Uh, we'll leave that there. We'll, we'll leave that until the viewer's imagination. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you after Ben when you're. On. I'm excited. <laughs> I think I might know. Uh, yeah, I guess we have talked about a lot of the shots already. Um, I want to talk about the uh, the actual colours in the movie quite a lot because it's quite an interesting uh, mix, you know, like it, it blends in with red and blue just vividly in yeah. some moments. I guess playing to the dreamlike quality of it all, you know. Um, Very grimy colours. Mm. It's all at the foot of New York as well. It, you never go into like a high tower, high rise or anything. No, except, except you know, at the end, but not not like a proper high rise. Yeah, thing. it's yeah, never like you you're still at the base of New York City. I think you get that impression a lot, which is kind of cool. It's like, all the streets sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, it's all looking at buildings from low to high rather than, you know, looking down, which I think a lot of New York uh, f- films based in New York, at least modern ones, want to show off the fact they're in New York because it's such a, you know, it's funny because they they do show off new york but it's so horrible like it really plays into the movies and you're in like the gutter of new york rather than you know yeah the sky view yeah i think Uh, even now modern new york films that are gritty are still trying to there's probably still a seed there's probably like a seedy under section in the real new york that they don't get across in other movies but this this movie really gets it across i do agree with you yeah but I'm trying to think of shots. I like no. It's just interesting, like cinematography in the car. You know, like when they fo- like the opening shot when it focuses on like the different sections of the taxi and things like that. Really good. Um, yeah, yeah. It's interesting the way they film just taxis in general in the movie. That's be quite innovative. I think props... he talks about wiping the cum off the uh, back seat every night. <laughs> I forgot about that, but yeah. <laughs> To go with his popcorn, presumably. But uh... how do you feel about the way Robert De Niro pronounced the cum? How did he say it? Can you uh, do an impression? For... Cool. <laughs> Didn't really have an opinion on it, but uh, you're making me think about it. I should go back and re-listen to the tape now. <laughs> it made me think, like, how popular is that word? Like, I feel like that I've never heard that word be spoken like that in that older 
media, I guess. Cut, cut. Not, uh, that, guess, not like, that all my media, all films and music are the same way come along. But. It's like what we always saying before, it was such a different time in filmmaking. <laughs> like, you'd I never seen someone to say, say something before, like, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you wouldn't we go to, like... We should start like a like a theory that uh, Scorsese invented the word "come." <laughs> he might have, to be fair. Like, I, I, I mean, Dave, I can't remember a time someone said "come" before this movie. That's all no. I'm saying. <laughs> I've got to do some research. There you this. go. Get on a uh, wiki. Get on wiki. Uh, get, get researching wiki the uh, history of "come." <laughs> Uh, yeah, good shots in the movie. Just well shot in general, I'd say. But yeah, getting the feel of New York, I'd say, is the best part of the movie does. But um, I want to talk about the acting as well. Did you have any standout moments in terms of acting? Just to recap you on the characters, you've got Jodie Foster as Iris. You've got um, De Niro. You've got um, the weird taxi driver guys. You've got Chancellor yeah. Palpatine. Chan- <laughs> Sorry, Palantar. <laughs> I've written Palpatine, <laughs> but um, and um, you know, I, I actually heard, I, I actually heard that that's what his name is based off Palpatine's off Palantine and Taxi Driver, but I'm, I can't confirm or deny. Oh, but uh, obviously, George Lucas was friends with um, you know Scorsese, yeah. so I can't confirm it. But yeah, do you have any favorite acting moments? I like really that? liked the scene where um, Travis goes out to I think it's Wizard. Um, the taxi driver, fellow taxi driver, and like, oh, has like a yeah. kind of confession, like he's about to do something big, and he does a weird heart to heart. That's the first, like one of the first human moments. Yeah. Well, I know you and I ain't talked too much, you know. Yeah. But I figure you've been around a lot, so you could. Yeah, shoot, that's why they call me the wizard. I got. It's just that I got a. I got a. Things got you down? Yeah. Yeah, it happens to the best of them. Yeah, it got me real down, real down. Just want to go out and, and, you know, like really, really, really do something. Taxi life, you mean? Yeah, well, nah, it's... I just want to go out. I really, you know, I really want to. I got some bad ideas in my head. I just. Oh, look, look at it this way. You know, uh, a man, a man takes a job. You know, and that job, I mean, like that, you know, that becomes what he is. You know, like. Uh, do a thing, and that's what you want. I mean, like, I've been a, I've been a cabbie for 17 years, you know, 10 years at night. I still don't own my own cab. You know why? Because I don't want to. I must be what I what I want. You know, to be on a night shift, driving somebody else's cab. You understand? I mean, you, you, you become, you get a job, you, you become the job. I mean, like, one guy lives in Brooklyn, one guy lives in Sutton Place, you get a lawyer, another guy's a doctor, another guy dies, another guy gets well, and, you know, people are born. I envy you, you. Go on, get laid. Get drunk, you know, you can do anything. 
Because you've got no choice anyway. I mean, we're all fucked. More or less, you know? Uh, I don't know. That's about the dumbest thing I ever heard. It's not Bertrand Russell, but what do you want? I'm a caddy, you know? What do I know? I mean, I don't even know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I don't know either. Don't worry so much. Relax, killer. You're gonna be all right. I know. I've seen a lot of people, and uh... I know. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, man. I guess. Yeah. yeah, you know, you're all right, you're all right. Sided human. He doesn't know what to say, and Travis doesn't even really ask a question. But what's funny yeah. about it, it's like, it's like at the end, like how he's like, "That's the worst advice I've ever got." <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "Well, I don't, I don't even know, really know what you're asking." <laughs> it's such a one-sided moment, and uh, but it's obviously quite an important one because what happens after? Yeah, but it, it's really hard to even get a grasp of what he's asking like him. So I know what you mean, like. Yeah, there's some great scenes with those guys, you know, in the uh, in the tech. They were all so weird and you know kooky sort of thing. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, I like how they kind of accept him, but you because of how they're all sat and talking, you don't realise they don't know each other that long. I assume we skip some time, but no, they literally just talk to him, like as if he yeah. was always one of them, and then he's just weird as fuck. Like <laughs> he's definitely the weirdest. They're all really weird, but like, he's the weirdest one. And he's got all this money and like I don't know where he gets it from. And, uh, well, he he buys the gun off one of those guys, doesn't he? Actually, off this. Tra- I forgot that's another character. Well, the he, he salesman gets a contact. Guy, yeah. yeah, it's a contact that I think the guy called the wizard has. But yeah, mm. there's a podcast called Reply All that I've recommended to you a few times. Uh, but we did a really and, good uh, I have not listened episode. <laughs> have you watched it? <laughs> Let's no, I haven't listened to it. <laughs> no. They did a, a really good two-part episode called The Crime Machine. It's about uh, New York's kind of police department, I think in the 70s. Um, mm-hmm. It's about like corrupt cops and things like that. It's a really good uh, series to listen to. It's only two episodes. Um, but that kind of gave me some idea of what New York was like at that time, I guess. It's, uh, yeah. It's, it's kind of a good... Um, as someone you know from England who has no connection to New York whatsoever, all the 70s... Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, <laughs> or just anything, Robert De Niro. Just anything. I've no, I'm not a, I've no physical connection yeah. to anything. Um, <laughs> it's, it's worth a listen. It, it gives you some sort of insight into you know the crime. Oh, that'll be quite like. good actually. Like because obviously when you see, yeah. I think when you see the pimps and all like how common it was and how run down mm. it is, it maybe mm. seems a bit unrealistic or hyperbole of a film. Mm. But. Yeah, if you look into it, it kind of makes... You realise how bad it was in New York. Well, well, that'd be quite good to get a bit more context in the movie, you know, to sort of see yeah. what it's like. I think another movie, forgetting, like, what the sort of the streets were like, it sounds like a stupid answer, was um the film that this lost the Oscar to that year was um the first Rocky film. It takes place in Philadelphia. Oh, yeah. But you kind of oh. get, like, a street view of what it's all about. And I know, like, Scorsese, like, made fun of that movie with Raging Bull and things like that. But, um, oh, yeah. I do think it's good in that regard. But yeah, that sounds like quite an interesting podcast to, to get more of a context of the movie, definitely. Definitely. They do loads of good podcasts, but that one stands out for this episode. <laughs>
Go, moving on, um, this film was made in 1976, and it has a lot of influence towards the rest of cinema, as we've talked about already. Do you think, now you've watched the film, that this was well warranted? Uh, do you think the film lived up to the hype, so to speak? And you have talked about this a bit, but I'd like um, to hear more. So yeah, I think it's, again, it's important to think of a time frame. It's a, I enjoyed the film, it was good. Um, like I said, I think I thought of it was going to be a bit, I thought it was going to be a bigger film than it turned out to be but that's Mm -hmm. because of you know outside influences or outside um media taking influence from tax driver and building upon it Mm -hmm. not building upon it you know using its uh narrative framework uh joker looking at you Mm um yeah um i really enjoyed it i i think it was it's well worth it especially when you consider the time frame it was made it was obviously a fresh new thing at the time just think of Um, never seeing anything like this ever before in 76 yeah i do like when you see a film that is clearly older in terms of how it looks and how it how it uh like the quality of it in terms of actual aspect like you know not hd etc and then you see something Mm -hmm. modern in it like a modern story like this if that makes sense it always takes you by surprise i think it would be hard to recapture you know what this film does capture, you know, I don't think you could remake the film, so to speak. You can't make another taxi driver because it's just so, firstly, it's Unless so it's iconic. In it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, they could, Todd Phillips can try, God bless him, but <laughs> it's, let's be honest. It, uh, right. I just want to reiterate, it is ridiculous how much Joker is taxi driver. <laughs> it's, it's Right. Just wait until you watch um, King of Comedy, another Scorsese film. It's even more similar. Like, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> it's the same film. I gotta say, I love Wa- I love Joaquin's performance, but, you know. And, and they even... Yeah, like, he, I, I like a Joker, but I think people are too, like... I yeah. Know, I think people too put too much meaning on it. People... They just hype it uh, so much. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. It feels like the we're, new we're, Fight Club. If yeah. you get what I mean. It's like people are trying to make a big thing out of it. They're trying to get the news outlets involved. You know, will Joker corrupt our kids? You know, that type of thing. But what they didn't know was Taxi Driver did it like uh, 50 years previously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I say like when I say it's a new Fight Club, what I mean is there's probably like 50 film school students now writing essays about this, yeah. thinking they're original. And that's I mean, fine, like, like, obviously. Like, I we, love, we, 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 love Fight Club, have, but then I went to uh, film school and, like, everyone around <laughs> me was like, Fight Club, Fight Club. And I was like, oh, shit, yeah. okay, I'm, I'm not special. We, we, this is, we've I'm all not going to have taken this film. I've known people that have written essays on Deadpool and things like that. You know, we've all been there, you know. But that's film for you, you know. <laughs> some things yeah. get played up in your mind, some things don't. But I'd say Taxi Driver is the original. It can't be topped. It's the OG of... I don't know what you call the style of film, sort of like a case study film, but, you know, it's, like it's iconic. Kind of like... Yeah, I guess it has a lot of neo-noir mm. sort of attitudes towards it as well, you know. It definitely, definitely. Well, that kind of ties on to my last question for you, Dave. Um, would you recommend the film? Uh, definitely. I think it's one of those that you've got to see. We've all, like, me and Ben both have films that are globally recommended and widely regarded as films you have to see, and it's ridiculous if you've not seen it, but, you know, it's not <laughs> the time in the world to get through them. But, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I think with films them. like that, you, you just you can't recommend every movie. There's so many movies, and if exactly. you haven't watched a film like Taxi Driver, it's it's just it's one of those, you know. Um, but yeah. if you ever get, it's always been on my two list hours to watch, for... and, and I'll watch it. So yeah, 
We've both got we've both got our watch lists, and uh, we're trying to make our way through them. You know, but Taxi Driver is one of the classics. You know, I'd say definitely give it a watch. Definitely have to be in the right mind frame to watch it. You can't just whack it on sort of cheery movie. You know, you got to know what you're getting into. But um, <laughs> happy go lucky. But um, it's really good. And um, another big film that was influenced before this, I forgot to say, was a film me and Dave like a lot. It's just celebrating its 25th anniversary. Is a French film called La Haine. It's got similar sort of themes yeah. and motifs and, uh, yeah, just uh, interesting in terms of its influence and things like that. But, yeah, iconic Taxi Driver, amazing. I can't recommend it enough. It's definitely, like, would you put a rating to it? Is it even that type of film, you know? Um, hmm, I don't know. I don't really like rating stuff because it is down to mm, personal. It, I don't like number such a personal stuff. thing. Yeah. No. I, I like to rate things on if you would watch them again or yeah, if the stories I don't know I don't even know what I'm saying but but <laughs> I, I would watch it again I'd be interested in watching it again but it's not one I would rewatch maybe it's, in a year within it's a year. not something you like go back to times it's not like uh, I don't know lots of film exactly it's not Kung Fu Panda two you know you rewatch it over and over again it's amazing every time it's more like. <laughs> Yeah, what exactly. film have you have you ever rewatched a film on the same day or within the same week? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. I have. I have a film. I've got one. Is... It's a bit embarrassing. Uh, do you want to go for yours? And I'll say <laughs> Okay. So, mine was a film called Hot Rod. Yeah. It's by basically all of Lonely Island. They directed it. <laughs> It's a satire, like, I don't even know what it is, it's just a funny film, but yeah. <laughs> I think maybe if I watched it now, it wouldn't be as funny. It's just pure, it's very random and weird. It's about Dave, is that, is that our next recommendation? Is that what you're telling me? No. <laughs> but I, wa- I remember in, in high school I watched it, and then the next day I watched it again and found it funny still, so... I have what uh, I watched The Revenant when it came out and I remember it's a long movie and I, it's like three hours long and afterwards <laughs> I immediately turned to the person next to me and was like god I don't think I'll need at least like five years before I watch that film again um, watched the film t- <laughs> the next day <laughs> just went back to the cinema and I did a Hateful Eight and The Revenant again marathon just because my mates wanted to and I was like yeah why not but I gotta say uh it's such a long movie. Do not watch it twice in a row. <laughs> Let's check the news. Welcome to the news zone, Ben. I hope you're ready for well as much news as I can cram into a segment. <laughs> I'm excited. No, I'm ready. Let's do it. Start with the most important uh, news update. It's quite a big one. I think you'll be excited oh. about. I've deliberately asked you not to look into it whatsoever if you've seen anything. <laughs> I am f- yeah. fresh face, fresh ear. Let's do it. I'm so ready. Nintendo had a very controversial um, leak in July, um, near the end of July. A hacker who I don't know any details about him and I remember he he's quite infamous for hacking Nintendo and gathering information that shouldn't have been let out. I think so oh, much that he boasted about the acts he's done and then I think he got arrested. Um, <laughs> really? <laughs> so That's That's he good. caused a massive leak um, with Nintendo. A lot of information got leaked out. 
such as the source code for the N64, the GameCube, the Wii. That is how we got the Mario 64 PC port that recently got um, distributed. Yep. Um, it was really good, well yeah. Over, over it. <laughs> uh, so that is how that happened. It's quite a big deal because not many games get the entire source, you know, distributed mm. usually uh, when you play and if you play an emulator we would just be playing a device that is made to emulate the, the actual inf- memory that the cartridge and, holds if that makes sense and nintendo just emulates their own games with the mini uh, exactly and NES, yeah so you know. having the actual yeah. source code for those consoles is is insane like that's a big deal mm. It's a big deal. But things like Dolphin, the popular GameCube emulator, they will not be allowed to use any any coding from the GameCube emulator, or, or Nintendo would just shut mm. them down. Like, that's the only thing they'd hold over them. Oh, really? Um, oh. So, yeah, oh, a lot wow. of BIOS files for the Game Boy Advance, which is, you know, a big deal for emulation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm a big fan of emulation. If you can't afford the actual console, which is obviously going to be the better experience in most cases, then I see no issue yeah. with, you know emulating a game um i think emulating old games as well that's what i mean yeah we've talked about this before it's yeah it's a lot easier like newer games i would i don't like to emulate if i can play you know but i haven't knew it i haven't newest uh game i've emulated was 2002 gran turismo 3 so you know i've never emulated i think i think i've never gone further than ps oh no never further than gamecube i've gone I know it's like experimental PS3 emulators, but I've never tried. Yeah, I did try one of those recently just because I've never had a PS3, but yeah, I think it's still of a work. Did it work okay? It's still of a work, so it's it's not really reliable. Yeah. Um, There was a lot of new information. There was a a concept for an online MMO Pokemon game proposed by a company called IQUE. So I assume it's just pronounced IQ. Well, to be honest, I'm surprised. I'm surprised they've never delved into that territory so, yeah, before. I think Pokemon like Go is the first so well kind of into that, really. Um, it was based on Fire and Leaf mm. Green, which were remakes of the original uh, two games. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so mm. it would have been around 2003, 2004, I think. Um, that would have been proposed initially. Ooh. would have been really cool. Um, Long time I used to ago. actually play an emulated kind of MMO version where you would upload a ROM yourself of whatever game you had. And you would basically play the game yeah. online with other players. It was very cool. You could trade them between. Mm. It was That's very interesting. It's like was that, and that was just in a that 2D was on the website. Yeah, you uploaded, you injected your ROM yeah. essentially, like a ROM for Ruby or Sapphire or Fire Red, blah blah blah, and it mm. would let you play that game with other players. It was very strange. That's. It's probably well shut down now, but I remember it being very cool. Uh, uh, that must have been in 2014, yeah, to be honest. It was very not too long ago. So, six years now. So, an official Game Boy emulator was actually leaked as well. It was likely really? used when developing for the console, I imagine, uh, for <laughs> testing purposes. Yeah. yeah, that was uh, that was quite strange. We got a, a Game Boy emulator. <laughs> and uh, moving on yeah. to the biggest and the best news... Oh, I'm so excited. L is real. Um, so uh, yeah, the infamous uh, rumor about Mario 64 yeah. where Luigi's in the game. I'll let you explain some information about that if you like. So basically, uh, in Mario, there's a lot of rumors about gaming, uh, like Mortal Kombat. You know, hidden characters in stages, things like that. You could play as Master Hand in Smash Brothers, things like that. It's all um, like playground. You can rumors, play as Master- like stuff like oh, my uncle yeah, works pl- at Nintendo. Play- I'm talking playground level. Like yeah. uh, a big one is Mew being hidden under a 
truck in Pokemon Red and Blue. Like, yes. it's not real. You have to like cut the cut the truck, yeah. don't you? Completely like, like uh, unfabricated. There used to be there used to be a great series on game trailers that is uh, no longer existing. R.I.P. Uh, called Pop Fiction, where they'd go over like old rumors and try to prove them real it's like myth busters but um one of the best ones is um ella's real which is um there's a statue in the courtyard where the haunted house is in my 64 that says ella's real 2401 and people used to interpret that as luigi is in the game or he was meant to be in the game in development or he is hidden you just have to like you know get an extra star it's like the pokemon thing um but yeah, I I'll mean, add as well that the actual statue, the sign that says Ella's real, um, is completely mm. blurry, so there's no way to actually decipher what it means. Oh, it's like 64 graphics, you have to like enhance resolution, exactly. you know, stuff like that. But it's hard to read. People say you have to do things in the fountain, but um, to this day, or maybe Dave will prove me otherwise, um, no one's ever found Luigi in the game. So, uh, so there's no actual so, decipherable way. People for over 24 years have been trying to find Luigi in this game. It's just a rumour. Mm. Blah, blah, blah. It's It's been nothing more than playground rumours or whatever. Um, so when the, when the game actually yeah. leaked, uh, this big Nintendo leak, we got this source file for Mario 64, and that's how the PC port was made. Mm-hmm. So on July 25th, 24 years and one month after the game was actually released, as the source code came out, there is actually a fully fleshed out model for Luigi in the source code, confirming that he was supposed to be in the game. What? <laughs> what? So, L, L is, is real. real. So oh my <laughs> there is no way of getting him in the game, but he is oh. there in every copy of Mario 64. That's so, so interesting. Weird. Like they must have been thinking early development. Um, yeah, we'll get like a two-player thing going on with Luigi as well, but they could never implement it into the game or something like that. But so that's fascinating. Another thing I'll talk about is um, there's a there's a kind of a meme going around the N64. Uh, sorry, Mario 64 community. That every copy of Mario 64 mm. is personalized because everyone had. There's mm-hmm. loads of these stories where it's like playground rumors where there was a trailer, I think, mm-hmm. or some 3D animation someone made where it was Wario chasing you through a corridor in Mario 64 and it looks like it was yeah. promotional material or something. I don't know if it's even real, I haven't looked into <laughs> it, but it's quite a common one that pops up and to make people believe that Wario is in yeah. the game. So. Anytime yeah, anyone posts yeah. something about like a strange thing in their game, everyone just responds. Every copy is personalized, <laughs> like saying it, there's something weird in everyone's copy. That's funny. That's <laughs> sort of like a creepy pasta thing, you know. All your copies are personal. <laughs> yeah, it's like a creepy pasta. Like, <laughs> so people always post like weird or edited images of like my '64 and just to say like their version is like. Well, I mean, of course, Dave L is real when you play Super Mario 64 DS, yeah, is, you know. Yeah. And Waluigi. And, and, well, and Yoshi, Yoshi was real don't forget Yoshi. Anyway, oh, yeah, yeah, you had that sort of bulky animation on the roof. Uh, did, you, did you like uh, Mario 64 DS, or were you just like... Well, that was, that was actually the first one I played. I didn't have an N64 oh, really? as a kid. Oh, really? That's interesting. Because, um, we, yeah, I used to have it as a kid, so I used to play I never had one. I had a PS1 and a PS2. But I did have, I always have Game Boys and DSs, etc. Um, weirdly. It's interesting that Super Mario 64 became your, like, because you've called it your favourite game the thing. in the past. Yeah, you know? so I I only liked Mario 64 as an adult. Like, I played the DS one a lot. I loved all the mechanics in that with, like, mm. you know, the added characters. A lot of people hate Mario 64 DS. 
No, I don't hate it. A lot it. of people hate it on in the community, is, is what I mean. They, yeah, it's, it's garbage, mm. but I like all the extra stuff they added, like the I Mario boss and um, things yeah. like that. But yeah, I think um, I actually started playing it again on the because I had the N64 at this point. Yeah, it was only in 2014, 13, I think. Yeah, wow, very that's late. Great. So you had quite an adult. Quite an adult perspective. Exactly. Which is why I love it, because I think usually that type of game is maybe through rose-tinted glasses that you love it. But I play it as an adult, so yeah, it's just a good game in my eyes. I think speaking of emulation as well, a big part of the game is having the N64 controller as well. So if you are emulating it, it'd be good to get like a little one-to-one with an N64 yeah, controller. I mean, because it's just so between so you and good. me, I've been playing so on the GameCube controller and uh, even an Xbox controller. Oh, you cheeky <laughs> fuck! Uh... You sacrilege! <laughs> it works fine. Be gone! <laughs> oh, uh, you actually were there when I did the uh, st- backward stair jump. You, yeah, I the I've got I've been think right. I'm not gonna say this actually, but I was thinking about getting you a gift to do with the backward stair jump. Okay. Actually, but, uh, we'll keep that. We'll keep that because uh, it was such a big accomplishment for David's first uh, glitch. So I did know? my first um, it, exploit in Mario 64. There's a stupid amount of them. Yeah, where people do speed runs with them. This one essentially means back jumping in while facing away from the stairs. And you can rapidly ascend mm. staircases in the game. We were live streaming when it <laughs> happened, and it was oh, I've never been so proud of anyone in my life. You know, wow. it's just oh god. But it, it, you can do it on all the staircases as well. You can do it on the um, the smaller one just before that as well. But it looks ridiculously hard. But specifically, like. <laughs> obviously, the the end of my season four, you need to get a certain number of stars to go up this never-ending staircase. Otherwise, yeah. you just loop it. But if you do this glitch, you get through the loop and can just finish the game a lot, a lot quicker. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's good speed run to track, you know. Yeah, and you've got no bad RNG, no, notoriously, yeah, bad so RNG. fantastic. Yeah, don't have any bad, bad, bad RNG. <laughs> Tricky bit coming up. Tricky bit. So, to summarise that, L is real. Um, don't Woo, have too much news, because I think that was, that, was, that was deserving of its own segment. That's the that, no. That's that. No, that's huge. That's gigantic. I can't believe. Um, oh, it just makes me think like they must have been planning to put them in from development stages. But do you think they like put Ella's real as like a little cheeky joke? Like he was real. I, don't know, I genuinely think it's cheaper. Sure, it's in kanji or some. It's not even English. Maybe like because I actually found something interesting. I was looking into the um, Twilight Princess remake, the Zelda Twilight Princess remake. Mm-hmm. The Wii U and, uh, one, yeah. a, Do you know Boundary Break? The YouTube series? Mm-hmm. They look at outside, the YouTube channel, um, yeah. Outside background stuff in video games. They go outside of where you're supposed to. So in the Hylian mm-hmm. Temple, do you know where the mirror is near the end in the Druido Desert? The kind of prison. Uh, yeah, I know the prison. So, and Oh, the Twilight, Twilight Mirror. mirror. Yeah, area. I do know that. So yeah. there's a lot of kind of uh, yeah. patterns on the wall of like figures and like. Um, kind of like yeah. uh, hieroglyphs of characters doing stuff. Uh, so it... Don't tell me the Ouija's <laughs> in there. So in the original <laughs> game, it's very blurred out, so you couldn't actually tell what was on there. So when, in in, in the HD mm-hmm. remake for the Wii U, there's actually like a whole story going on with the Triforce, and it's got Ruto in it, and Zora. It's got a lot oh, of wow. weird, like... Well, um, it's got a lot... you can definitely tie that... Oh whole story back to Ocarina of Time because it's yeah. like a direct but it's got Ruto in as well which are the people which don't exist in this timeline really they, there are obviously 
There is a Sky Temple, so we could. It's fun. It's funny because people say that Breath of the Wild exists in all three timelines, and there are Ruto in that. And yeah. it's just, but it's so strange that game on the timeline, yeah. you know. I think, um, I think, but what happened basically because none of this correlated to any specific Zelda game, so there was a lot of confusion of the Zelda community what this was related to. Um, but they looked mm-hmm. into it, and apparently, it was a another game company that was outsourced the HD upscale uh, for this project. Because mm-hmm. um, they tackled mm-hmm. another remake, apparently, or re- reboot, not reboot, uh, remaster. So Nintendo trusted it mm-hmm. to them, and someone realized when they got these source files, this texture unblared was just like Roman soldiers. <laughs> so it made no <laughs> really? sense. So he just made so. up this asset of this like little Zelda story in his head, but it meant nothing. So it's quite interesting. Yeah. Um, no, you may as well do exactly. Something with I the mean, world, in this position, I'd probably do the same thing. Just make up my own little Zelda exactly story. Exactly. To... Did I ever tell you I I used to put um stories to the Sonic games yeah. when I used to play them to make them more interesting? Like, but like this first one takes place in Japan, <laughs> second one takes place in North America. I I don't know what I was thinking of. I used to go to my globe and like map out where every <laughs> stage was. I was I was a strange child. Well, strange adult as well. So. Oh, I mean, I'm hurt, Dave. I'm hurt. <laughs> for next uh, for the next episode, Ben, I wanna I wanna recommend a game that um it's probably one of my favorite in the series. It's uh, Pokemon Emerald. Ooh, um, well, I notoriously have not played many Pokemon games. So, so I'm interested to see what will happen with, in your gameplay, of, in your experience of Pokemon Emerald. Um, I know you've played Pokemon yeah. Ruby, I think you said. Yeah, one of my favourite games as a kid. I used to play Ruby so much. I never completed it, but I got pretty far in it. I'd be interested to go back. I, rem- I don't remember a lot about the game. I remember there was like a bad guy team. And your yeah. like character has white hair or something. Yeah. I don't know. It's actually a hat. <laughs> That's all I, I don't know that as a kid. But oh no! I thought <laughs> he just had white hair. That is a mind blown. It it's a weird ass hat. So yeah, um, I'm recommending this version because this is kind of a penultimate version of DX version of the games. Yeah, yeah. I guess they always release a third copy. Um, every time they do a generation of Pokemon games, uh, it's in, it's interesting. I didn't I didn't really know they were like making a thing out of making a third copy as well. Because I always knew yeah. about the two copies, but didn't know about yeah. So we always do two copies and then a third copy. Now though, we actually don't do that anymore. They stopped doing that for a while, a few generations ago. I think there's over a thousand Pokemon now, mm. but in, at the time of this game, I believe it's about three hundred ish. Um, this was like early. This is the third, third generation, generation, is that yeah. right? Which is my, I would say my yeah, favorite. So, this Pokemon game introduced quite a new uh, number of Pokemon. Um, uh, I think the second series only brought in about maybe ninety something, but it brought in loads of forms for the original Pokemon. Um, we're in a whole new region. We're in col- uh, full color. Um, the last Johto Gold and Silver wasn't too great graphics wise. It's just a colored version of the original games, essentially. This is like a complete different game. It's just a. I mean, it obviously is, but <laughs> you, yeah. you know what I mean. It's like jumping from. <laughs> I know what you mean. Zelda one to it's, into it's, past that type of. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, new graphics, new gameplay. It's a whole different thing. I bet the story's riveting as well. Yeah, the story's. I really enjoy the story, and yeah, it's very good. Uh, so, what's going to make this interesting yeah. is Ben, to make it interesting, is going to do a Nuzlocke run. Um, so, a Nuzlocke <laughs> run for Pokemon fans. So, well, they all know what it means, but non Pokemon fans. 
Um, essentially, Ben will have to nickname every Pokemon he catches. He can only capture the first one in each area. Um, and if a Pokemon loses all its health, he has to get rid of it. It's in the bin. He can't reuse it and heal it. <laughs> Uh, so it's, I'll, and, and I haven't played a Pokemon game in I can't remember how many years, so it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting, <laughs> that's for sure. So we're, we're gonna get Ben a cheat sheet just so he knows what he's doing, having up to date. Yeah, hopefully we'll hear about that later. Uh, yeah, it'll be an interesting episode. I'm looking forward to. It. <laughs> yeah. So that, that's everything from us uh, this week, um, and I don't think there'll be as big a break as there was last time, but. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep. Oh, I don't know. There's a lot of roof repairs still to do, Dave. You know, got to get that wall fixed. I think some idiot let off a gun before, so we we got to fix Easy. that as well. You know, so. Who keeps letting these idiots <laughs> Music done by Ben Loveland. Edited by David Harrison. Narration done by James Walker. This has been the Super 8-Bit Podcast. See you next time.